Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Class is in session, and this week I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming to RPG University one of the truth, truly one of the most influential creators in the RPG, action RPG genre. Founder and head of Greybeard Games, you might know him as created one of the creators of the Diablo franchise, Hellgate London, uh, and Marvel Heroes, among many others. Mr. David Brevik is joining me. Thank you so much, Mr. Brevik, for joining me today on this episode. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. Now, we are here to talk about Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door today, which for a lot of listeners, you might be thinking, why are we talking about Paper Mario? Well, a little <laughs> peek, peek behind the curtain with every episode of RPG University. They're very, the choice of the game is always very dependent on the an RPG that our guest loves. And even though David has been in charge of creating some incredible gothic horror and superhero games that we all know and love, you are a big fan of Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, you were telling me. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I think that there's just so many really fun things about it that uh that uh you know i it's way up there on the list maybe maybe one of, maybe my favorite uh rpg that you know that i wasn't involved with uh, <laughs> that i've ever played so just to get everyone kind of back in the thought space of when this game came out it originally came out in the year in 2004 in japan it released on july 22nd of 2004 and would later come over to the states in october of that same year and then Europe and Australia would get it in November. So other games you might have been playing around this time, pretty big year, was Half-Life 2, little game called World of Warcraft were released, Fable, Halo 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, EverQuest 2, and I know, uh, David, you're a big fan of the first EverQuest. Were you a big fan of EverQuest 2 as well? No, not really. I always it, it, it was kind of strange to me that they even released EverQuest Two. Uh, I didn't think like it needed a sequel, but they, you know, thinking was very different back then. It was very episodic or whatever mm -hmm. instead of like games as a service, which is more of a kind of a, a thing today. But uh, I was never really into it. I was I had just sunk so much time and energy into EverQuest that I didn't want to walk away from that yet. I wasn't <laughs> ready. To, that was that was the real reason I wasn't really interested in EverQuest Two. Okay. Uh, we also got Jack 3, Star Wars, KOTOR 2, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Dragon Quest 8, and Sly 2, Band of Thieves. But we are here to talk about some Paper Mario. So when was I your first... I know. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Strong year. I, I didn't realize it was 2004, but the, the, you know, that's quite a li list for sure. I mean, it was Half-Life 2, then that means like Steam was just starting and stuff. So wow, Yeah, the big amazing. Source Engine update and... yeah. yeah. Kind of, kind of crazy to think back that that year had all those powerhouse games, many of which are still yeah. are franchises that are still kicking and doing crazy things today in 2020. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and another 
series, of course, that is still kicking in 2020 is Paper Mario. We're at time of recording. We're about a couple weeks out from the or the most recent game came out recently, uh, the Origami yeah. King. But we're talking about Thousand Year Door. So, David, when was your first experience and how did you kind of get into Paper Mario Thousand Year Door? Had you played the first one? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had played originally like the uh, there was the like an RPG game for uh, Mario on uh, maybe uh, Super Nintendo, right? Uh, yeah, maybe it was Super Nintendo. I don't, I don't remember. It was it, it's so long ago now. I don't. It was like in the you know kind of mid to late nineties. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a there was an RPG, a, a Mario RPG, uh, and then that kind of like morphed into paper mario the real the first paper mario which i believe was maybe nintendo 64 and Mm -hmm. then the uh then uh then thousand year door came out on gamecube uh and so that uh that i loved the first paper mario i loved not only the rpg a mario rpg but also i loved the uh the first paper mario game a lot and uh and so i was very excited about uh thousand year door and uh it exceeded all my expectations yeah, it. Uh, I was uh, just like you. I was a big fan of Super Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. I re- have vivid and fond memories of that uh, of that game. I loved Gino and Mallow, the little cloud person who thought he was a frog, and <laughs> and all that. Uh, when the original Paper Mario came out, I didn't play it, um, and it wouldn't. It would be a number of years before I would go back and replay it. But fell in love with that, and then that transitioned into me playing and kind of getting into paper mario thousand year door which is still in my opinion the best of this the series it does so many clever things with mechanics and story and characters it's fantastic agreed Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a shame that they kind of and they've kind of gone away from the rpg ness Mm -hmm. in, in my opinion of uh of paper mario and they've they wanted to like separate from what i've heard i don't mm-hmm. know all the details obviously but the uh that uh they kind of wanted to m- make the mario and luigi series uh, kind of their rpg style thing and kind of go away from those mechanics for paper mario uh and so the last few of them have kind of been less and less rpg-ish and more and more uh you know i i don't know it's kind of like an adventure story kind of thing mm-hmm. um but uh uh, so that that's why I thought that this, you know, that Thousand Year Door was kind of the peak. I agree with uh, with the series in terms of it had the most RPG ness to it. Like the latest one, you don't even really get experience points and things like that. So it's uh, it's quite it's quite a bit different than in the way they used to be. Yeah. Um, so one of the defining features of the Paper Mario franchise is, of course, the kind of paper crafted hand look aesthetic to it. Um, yeah. It. What was it, did? Have you always been a fan of kind of that more aesthetic to it, or did it kind of grow on you over time? Uh, for me, I you know I I thought it was clever. Like I I, I never I, I thought that it looked fine. It looked good, and I liked kind of the cross between three D and two D or whatever. And I thought it was pretty funny that they the entire look in terms of calling it paper or whatever i thought it was just very very clever way to do graphics uh without making it too expensive 
I mean, the, the advantage, obviously, is that back in the day that, you know, when the GameCube or whatever, these machines couldn't do a ton of polygons on the screen, uh, that this was a way to save on polygons uh, and uh, make it uh, still have a, you know, a kind of a cool style. So I thought that there was a very clever use of engineering and uh, and art to make a unique look that stood out from kind of the rest of the games out there. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was like, oh my God, this is the way that games should be in the yeah. future. Like this, this, <laughs> this look is what all games should go for. Uh, but I thought that it was uh, because of the, uh, you know, it stood out It made some, you know, tried something different. And I appreciated that. And I still think that it looks great. Yeah. It, the aesthetic. And I, as I've grown older, having grown up with, born in the late 80s and grew up with the NES Super Nintendo I've I've found a, an appreciation as I've gotten older that good pixel art or good sprites or these really aesthetically unique games have aged so much wet so much better than your early 3 3D games or where they were super blocky I I think really good pixel art and stylized art like Paper Mario will always look good Right, I agree. I, I think that that's definitely a thing. I think that uh, that's one of the reasons that Diablo 2 has been kind of <laughs> successful is that, or, you know, has such longevity is because there was a big debate when we were making Diablo 2 whether or not to go 3D or, or you know, kind of go with these pre-rendered sprites mm -hmm. or whatever. And um, today I'm really glad that we went that way because it still offers a style that uh, that lasts to this day. People don't if it was like super low poly, I think I don't think that it'd be as popular as it is. Yeah, and an art style that so many people are trying to still emulate and capture the same lightning in the bottle that you all did at Blizzard North back in the day. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was the perfect time and place. Uh, we were very lucky. Um, one of the biggest things I think that people have fallen in love with, specifically with Thousand Year Door, is the strength of the supporting cast um yeah thousand year door has some amazing party members that you can partners that you can take with you what was kind of your go-to like sidekick that you spent all your star sprites on to level up like what's what was oh. your go-to one well, for me, it was the Yoshi, not Yoshi, the one that you could name <laughs> whatever you wanted. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciated that uh, that character the most, being able to eat the enemies and spit them back <laughs> out or whatever was, was such a powerful ability and so much fun to do or whatever. And uh, so uh, I think that that was my my favorite. I love the, the little mohawk that yeah. he had. Like the spunky, yeah. kind of belligerent Yoshi that still has part of his egg attached to his. It's just like, this is so good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that probably like Goombella is probably super is very useful in terms of uh, her tattle ability and being able to like give uh, hints on monster weaknesses and show their hit point bars and stuff like that. So in terms of use, she probably got like the most use uh i would say uh, that you know once i tattled something then I, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that they were all tattled that they all had the ability to give me their inside scoop on their weaknesses as well mm -hmm. as or even their stats as well as being able to show their hit point bar was super powerful so but uh in terms of just damage and fun uh it was the the 
quote unquote Yoshi character that that did it for me. That was the the most fun. So in terms of you mentioned needing to use tattle on every enemy, are you kind of a completionist when it came to like this game or kind of game games in no, general? Like I didn't do something like I didn't go to the extreme of. I've got to collect every badge or I've got to fill out uh, every recipe in the cookbook or, you know, whatever. It's like there were lots of uh, lots of, you know, I wasn't trying to 100 percent every aspect of the game. Uh, uh, so it, for me, I, I think that uh, it it was just a, a helpful way to I enjoyed the fights more when I could see what was going on and how much damage they had left. And I thought it's added <laughs> to the strategy of the game so that. That for me was the reason I preferred to use the tattle thing, not because of it, yeah. not from a completionist standpoint. Yeah. Um, speaking a bit of badges, what a, I think this game did a really good job of taking your traditional RPG mechanics, like your deep in- intricate systems, like equipment and stats and leveling up, but reducing them to kind of their most concentrated yet digestible state for people that weren't RPG fans. Like, you had three stats, like you had your health, your magic or your flower gauge, and then badge points, which lets you equip more and more accessories that boost you up. From a game design perspective, what stood out, what stands out to you the most as that was a brilliant decision? Well, absolutely. I think it's a brilliant decision. I think it's a brilliant decision for a lot of reasons, but, uh, I think that first the badges were well balanced like the how how expensive they were for how powerful they were like that uh I, I think that they did a really superb job in balancing those things and that just comes from playing a lot and from uh you know experience and stuff like that that to get that balance right was extremely tricky there were a few that maybe were a little bit too powerful and a little underrated but largely the things were uh that were balanced quite well and so i really appreciated that i I thought that uh their ideas for badges were really clever i also liked i think that for me one of the things i appreciate the most about an rpg is giving the player the freedom to make the choices that they want to make uh and so uh being able to um uh you know be able to have all of these choices oh, am I going to put my points into hit points? Am I going to, or I guess they call them whatever, heart points, but the hit points uh, and uh, and flower points and uh, and badges, like that choice is great. That is, that is right up my alley in terms of customization of my character. My character is going to be different. Mm-hmm. My Mario, my experience is going to be very different than anybody else that ever played this game. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate them giving people the freedom to kind of uh, play the game the way that they want to. I really like to use this one ability over and over again. So I just want to load up on flower points. Or mm-hmm. I, I really like, uh, you know, I've got a, I don't really even care about these special abilities. I just want to like, you know, bludgeon my way through it. I'm just going to go all hard points. Or I really like all these badges and having all these options and having all the strategy i'm going to load up on badge points like that distilling the rpg down to those three categories and yet having so much depth in those three categories because of the you know the decisions that you make i think really uh really make this game stand out that's the brilliance of this design having the uh 
having just a few options and having so many things that you can do with that, uh, with just those three three choices, uh, makes it an incredibly deep and interesting not only RPG but strat you know a lot of mm-hmm. depth and strategy. Uh, I think is is just really truly brilliant. Did you tend to try and keep your Mario during your playthrough? Uh, kind of more balanced, dividing your level ups between all three options, or were you more of, like you mentioned, kind of the bludgeon, I'm just going to tank everything and just keep pounding away kind of thing? For me, I tended to kind of go pretty heavy on badges, and Mm. then uh, heart points probably second, and flower points third for me. Uh, There was kind of like a minimum in order to use some of the abilities and things like that. You needed some flower points, but that was always kind of, for me, it was my my third choice. I liked a lot of kind of the passive badge abilities and things like that uh, were more interesting to me than uh, some of the the others. So for me, I think that that added more to the strategy of the game, uh, Mm -hmm. focusing on on the badges and the different things you could do with them. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I spent a lot of my level ups specifically in badges because you would find badges that would add five health or five heart points or five flower points. So you could kind of balance right. that way where just invest everything into badges. Then you could, you have so many more options. You can tweak your um, attack or have your passive buffs like you would slowly replenish flower points during combat or various things like that so i think like you spending the points in uh spending your level ups to increase your badge points so you could equip more was was my route yeah absolutely that's why i felt like like, again i think that it it was i love games where the designers of an rpg allow you to make choices and sometimes Mm -hmm. you're going to make some pretty bad choices uh and you you know makes makes the game harder or whatever but the thing is that you could just grind in the Mm -hmm. in the game if you needed to uh so it like if you had made some bad choices you could just level up a couple times and choose something different uh so you know i also appreciated that like you could still complete the game even if you were mm-hmm. making quote-unquote bad choices like dumping never getting any heart points or badge points and dumping mm-hmm. everything into flower points you could still you could still complete the game uh mm-hmm. and you could still do things uh, in a in you know, your own way and i really appreciate you know the the that kind of uh design and being able to make a character the way that and play the game the way that i want to play it yeah, and just from a player standpoint, in in recent years, I've gotten big into kind of trying to do challenge runs and things. But and it's one of the things I love so much about the RPG genre as a whole is when I have the option, I can build a certain way. So if I want to just do a challenge where I don't invest anything in badge, and I just like do all one stat or do kind of do a quote unquote mage and just do all flower points, like you can make your your quest more challenging you can challenge yourself by making those decisions using that customization that you you mentioned um yeah and, and you know oftentimes the game is a totally different experience when you're playing in a different way like that and mm-hmm. uh i think it can add a lot of life and depth to the to the game and give you a unique experience even if you've already played it before and i love one thing that i love about badges specifically is how you will get badges that add nothing to your stats or don't change the gameplay at all but are just fun little nods like 
the different badges that have Mario dress up as in Wario's outfit or <laughs> Luigi's. And if you combine the two, you get Waluigi's clothing. It's like little things like that or changing his the sounds he makes when he attacks. It's like just yeah. those little Easter eggs and touches. They're just so charming. And it's like you Absolutely. didn't have to do it. Right, absolutely, and I thought that 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 it shows, in my opinion, one of the things that I appreciate the most about Paper Mario: A Thousand Year Door is that it seems like the devs really loved the game and really loved Mario. Like these were kind of like this was kind of like a love letter to the Mario franchise, as well as like you could tell that the devs really loved this this game and working on the franchise. It seemed that way, at least. Uh, because of all of the kind of special little treats and things like that that were in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, I've this game has such a clever... I love the boss, but we'll dive a little bit more into uh, the story and, and like bosses now. Um, it's your kind of typical Mario RPG. They always seem to revolve around. You have to claim X number of magical MacGuffins that unlock some big evil thing and then final boss this in this game it's the the crystal stars um that are uh, being hunted down by the x knots which are they always look like dr robotnik from sonic to me <laughs> yeah um but you get so many amazing special like unique characters to this game uh, the one that stands out to me always is uh, Hooktail, the giant dragon you fight very early on. He's the boss in the yeah. first chapter. But he was like on the marketing, so that one really stuck to, stuck out to me. But what monsters or um, kind of enemies? And we talked a little bit about this earlier before we started recording. What monsters or foes like stick out to you from this game? Like when you think. Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, what characters or enemies do you think about? Uh, well, I think about all sorts of things. I mean, I think that, that one of the things about the game that also stands out is that each and every chapter in the game is like its own, almost own individual story. Even though it kind of ties back into the main story, there's like different mechanics in each area. There's different kind of themes there's different looks to the area there's different different ways like you know one time you're on a you know train solving all sorts like it's a mm -hmm. murder mystery one you know like the different chapters have just kind of like these entirely different characters different flavors etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that that uh makes it super interesting and so it's hard to kind of compare the areas from one to the other because they're so different it's I don't know. In a lot mm -hmm. of ways, it's kind of like choosing your favorite kid or something. It's <laughs> like, it's the, well, I love them all or whatever, yeah. you know. So, uh, but I, I'd say probably my favorite boss in the game was Magnus von Grapple. I mean, I really appreciate also that he came back for a you know 2.0 version mm -hmm. of himself, uh, and I loved the kind of robot that he that he had in. I loved battling you know, the robot version of him with the arms that came off mm -hmm. as the rocket and stuff. And, uh, and so I, you know, I think that that's probably my favorite. I thought the end boss, the shadow queen was fantastic. I think that that, uh, that it was just as epic as the end boss for a game should be. I thought that, uh, that there was just so many interesting things that they did. And I thought the graphics were really interesting. I love kind of like the, uh, 
the kind of uh, I don't even know how to describe the texture, but the star pattern or whatever mm -hmm. that uh, that uh, were kind of, was the texture for it. Uh, and then uh, you know I think that I I also really love the fact that there's kind of like a a, a hidden boss in the game. I don't know if it's that hidden, but uh, you have to get to the bone tail, which is the same as hook tail, same graphics, kind of largely the mm -hmm. same graphic, but is an undead version of it. Uh, that's like down at the bottom floor of the, the pit of a hundred trials. Uh, and so it, it, a very difficult boss to get to, to be able to like go through basically a hundred battles uh, to get down to the bottom uh, and get to this kind of unique boss of uh, the bone tail, I think is also something that just adds to the legend of this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think those are my three favorites. Yeah, those are those are some really good ones. And like you mentioned, the how each level was so unique and was almost its own game in and of itself with just what you could do. I loved how. Um, the paper abilities you get it's you unlock like these chests because the like the same creature is tricks mario basically it's like oh i'm not gonna trick you you're you're the legendary hero i wouldn't right. do that whoever did if someone did that before they're losers kind of thing and opens it up and it's just like this purple the screen goes purple and it's just this face mocking you and you okay you can turn into a paper boat or a paper airplane now i thought those were really really funny yeah yeah now you've got this curse or whatever oh yeah. no you're so cursed or whatever you can turn into a, a paper airplane or whatever it was yeah. you know they, they like they it, this terrible curse now you have this new ability i, I think that that one that's i think one of the things that also stands out to me uh uh is that the writing in the game is superb mm -hmm. uh it is humorous. It, it makes reference to all sorts of things. The fact that, like, you know, Princess Peach is kidnapped yet again, and then you suspect Bowser off the bat. Bowser shows up. Mm -hmm. It's not Bowser. They talk about how it's always Bowser, but not really, you know, that the kind of, like, yeah. the stereotypical Bowser took Peach kind of thing, and it turns out not to be that. He's, like, the you know, the, he's kind of like the, a B villain in the movie. <laughs> Uh, in the game, like I, I really appreciate the writing in this game uh, from the things like the chest that gives you special abilities to, you know, even mm -hmm. the, the NPCs are really clever and they have, they talk about all sorts of kind of stereotypical RPG things as well as, uh, you know, make fun of that uh, as well as uh, just clever writing all, all the way around. Some of the names, everything I thought were just really well done. I loved how you got to kind of explore and see some of the game from Bowser and Peach's perspective during the intermission between each episode. Yeah. Um, how you find, like, Peach is kidnapped, obviously, but then she de starts developing, like, a friendship with this computer that wants to know what love is, and that cracked me up. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, I think that... Uh, yeah. Again, that the writing I think is what really stands out. You normally in an RPG, not always, but a lot of times, I'm not all that invested in the story. I'm not mm -hmm. really like. Oftentimes, as you can tell from the kind of games that I make with like Diablo, like story is important or whatever, but it's not the front and center or mm -hmm. whatever. I'm not. I'm not. You got to talk to every NPC and they're going to tell you every you know every little piece of information and things like yeah. that. But in Thousand Year Door. Uh, 
I wanted to talk to uh, like all the NPCs because <laughs> I really appreciated all the writing. I really loved kind of the jokes that they would tell, and like not only did they often have valuable information, so they didn't feel like a waste talking to these NPCs, but also it was you know a lot of times the stuff that they said was just so humorous and so funny, so mm-hmm. so clever that uh, I really enjoyed this story in this game much more than almost any other RPG. Uh, it- and yeah, the the writing was just so expertly done and genius. Um, I loved talking to Luigi and have him basically telling the story of how he's on his own adventure trying to save uh, Princess Eclair in the Waffle Kingdom and everything going on like that. And by the end of the game, I was like, man, I kind of I kind of want to play a game where like you play out this entire adventure you know yeah where's the sequel to thousand year door where you play luigi reverse the roles and it's like you encounter mario and he'll update you on what's going on in thousand year door but you're playing through his paper luigi and saving princess eclair um it was just in like you mentioned earlier how everything just made you feel that the developers behind this game loved mario and loved rpgs it was something they didn't have to do it was just like a fun thing that you could read and get into if you wanted to like there was it wasn't like a quest line where you had to check up on luigi yeah absolutely i agree and the first time you do it he warns you oh it's going to be a long story are you sure you want to do it and if you say no then you can just keep on your merry way in rogue port and never hear about the tragic uh, affair of Princess Eclair and the Chestnut King and the Waffle Kingdom, you know? <laughs> it's, it's... Yes. Now, I'm curious, uh, with being a game designer and having made a bunch of games, is there a mechanic or something in Paper Mario Thousand Year Door that when you played it made you think, damn, I wish I had thought of that? You know, I think that the, my favorite mechanic uh, from the game, uh, which isn't unique to Thousand Year Door, uh, but is the mechanic of uh, kind of, it's a turn-based game, but it's got kind of these uh, button timing uh, actions to the combat. And I really love that uh, that kind of skill-based it's turn-based but kind of skill-based at the same time Mm -hmm. and i really love how uh the different badges have different uh you know with different moves come different skills and different ways to kind of you know use those skills or oh if i've got like multi-bounce on then i'm like pressing the button over and over and over again as i like i Mm -hmm. can time perfectly uh you know i really loved kind of the for lack of better description it's almost like um quick time events or something like that you know where you're yeah. like uh, pressing uh buttons at specific times to get through a sequence this is like you're pressing the buttons at specific times to add a little bit more damage or even sometimes a lot more damage uh to the to to your attacks and i i think that that mechanic made what is normally a turn-based game into something that felt didn't feel turn-based felt kind of action-oriented mm-hmm even though it was a turn-based game. And so it gives it not only strategy, but also gives it kind of that kind of uh, twitchy feel where you yeah. can just have this like trigger to the mechanics as well as the as the strategy of a turn-based. So it's kind of this 
perfect blend of strategy and action uh, that I think that there are very few games that have done it that way, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I like how it makes takes your traditional turn-based JRPG combat fair and adds just enough interactivity so it engages the player a bit more and keeps them focused on combat so it's not just someone pressing the A button and doing something else or kind of keeps the keeps the attention of the of the player. Yeah, it's not just that but also it makes it you know, there's so much skill involved like the timing of hey, you can block if you press right before the attack mm-hmm. happens to you and or if you press the button while you're attacking or, you know, whatever move the stick correctly or whatever whatever mm-hmm. the mechanic is uh that um you know i think that 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 makes every battle different right in a lot of jrpgs or things like that you're just making this choice and this choice and oftentimes it's the same choice over and over and over again Mm -hmm. i'm moving doing this move then this move then this move with this person or that person or whatever and i think that uh that really uh uh makes it fresh all the time because there's always this little bit of skill that's going to determine the outcome of the game which is different than just a pure turn-based kind of game where you have a few moves Mm -hmm. to choose from uh and i really appreciate that i also really like the fact that you can swap uh the the, you know which person goes first Mm -hmm. or whatever i like being able to choose the order uh as well i think that those both of those things i think were uh strong ways to to have the mechanics really play out to, and make combat more interesting than your mm-hmm. traditional turn-based game yeah uh, i loved how some of the monsters like you had to pay attention to the type of the monsters so you couldn't just jump on them so it's like oh he has a spike on his head so you have to use your hammer or my hammer and jumps don't work on this monster okay i need this partner i need uh koopa um to right. use his shell to actually hit a guy to do damage that it's not a big thing, but it adds that kind of strategic element to a game. Just that that helps it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. That's that's one of the things that is uh, really interesting about the game is that having the different enemies and the different situations come up where specific uh, partners are better at specific fights or the way that the, the you know types of enemies or the way that things are laid out. I think that that really uh, adds a lot of depth as well uh, having the different ways that you can or should interact with the different enemies being able to like oh i you can use the hammer it does a lot of damage but uh you know you can only hit the front enemy or things like that mm-hmm. those, those kind of choices i think uh really help uh you know just add a more depth to the to the entire thing add more strategy to the entire game i love in the combat how you can appear or like appeal to the audience because yeah there's why not there's an audience there watching you fight and the whole audience thing is really weird i mean i I really like the audience but like why is there an audience out of nowhere sense it's never really explained like why are you fighting like on a stage i don't quite get it and it's like there'll be a button prompt and they'll be mad at you so you'll have to occasionally like fight someone in the audience or the background will randomly (laughs) fall down on you I just don't even it's know like, where this idea I, came from. I like, it's like, yeah. But but I like it. I, I think it's interesting. I love, like, the audience cheering for you and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Or, you know, they'll throw you a boost every now and then. Or or they'll throw, you know, they 
topple some of the stage on you or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. like they, they'll do it, good and bad things, depending if you're doing, you know, how, how well you're doing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just kind of a it, it, non sequitur. It's kind of this weird it's aspect. So that, that makes, it's so random. It's so random. It makes no sense in the world or anything like that. But uh, but it's still kind of interesting. Yeah. I look what you did here. Don't know why you did it, but I like it. <laughs> I remember the first time I played it, I was just messing around and I was doing combat and I saw tactics and I was like, oh, what can I do with tactics? Because I was looking for escape. So I went into tactics, tactics, the little flag icon in combat, and it's like appeal to the audience or uh, or something. And it's like, what? Right. So I did that and then suddenly my little um, my star gauge went up and it's like, whoa, what? Why is this here? I don't remember anything telling me about this, but okay, we're we're gonna go with it. And then that just opened up a whole new, another can of depth and complex uh, complexity. It's like, okay, do I want to have my partner character just keep like appealing to the audience to refill my like star gauge so I can use like my super attacks or like what what do I want to do? Um, yeah, again, another reason why the game is just so well balanced, right? Mm -hmm. You know there all these options you can play the game kind of your way do you want to be using star power stuff as often as possible do you want to be you know mm -hmm. using special abilities do you want to have a lot of choices of special abilities that you and that's why i think that uh, there's just so much freedom in so many ways that you can play the game that uh, that just makes it just a stellar incredible design yeah and when you're out of combat as you un get cursed more with crazy abilities or you get more of your um, partners outside of combat's almost like a metroidvania style where as you get power-ups you can explore new areas or slip through different grates or you can send coops to hit far off um triggers and various things like that so it's like there's so many it's like system upon system upon system that just keeps opening up and it's such a huge game with so much you can do that it's fantastic yeah absolutely and that's kind of a long-standing traditions with mario or zelda or things like that mm -hmm. uh nintendo has always kind of been stellar at that being able to like foreshadow things oh look you can see this thing but you don't have this move to get to that thing yet and then you know few minutes later than or even like you know mm -hmm. 20 minutes later or an hour later in the game that's like oh i got this ability now i can go back and i can get that thing that i saw or whatever and uh that that kind of uh depth and uh is just brilliant design it's uh and they they don't do it everywhere they kind of scatter around here and there which makes it perfect right if you're overwhelmed with seeing these things all the time it's just frustrating mm -hmm. but every now and then if you get just a little piece of that you know it's easy to remember that one or two things yeah uh, compared to the you know if they did it all the time so it's it, they've they've mastered that for a long time and they've been uh, that's always been something i've really appreciated about a lot of nintendo games yeah it, it, enough that you can jot them quickly down in a notebook to come back to if you need to right exactly um now, as a game designer, I'm curious, and having worked on RPGs, what's your take and what's your opinion on the idea of having, like, a set total of points you have to reach? Like, in this game, you need 100 star points to level up, regardless of what level you're going to, compared to a scaling level, or, like, a scaling experience total that you have to reach. 
Um, you know, I don't know if it really matters that much. Uh, it depends on your goals. I think that, uh, you know, for Paper Mario, it's supposed to be, quote unquote, you know, kind of more casual style mm -hmm. RPG. Uh, and because of that, I think that it makes a lot of sense for it to be just a flat uh, number that you reach rather than a scaling number. I think scaling numbers are just more complicated. Plus, in this case, because there's so much freedom, because there's the heart points and flower points, and you could be dumping points into the bad things, like that will compound bad decisions. Uh, where you know you would if you're making like I've I haven't <laughs> I, uh, I only have you know a couple badge points and I've just got a zillion flower points and no hit points and I'm dying all the time or whatever. The thing is that like you can start to recover from those much faster if you have a constant number of uh, of experience points to you know to to level up rather than uh, an increasing amount. Uh, I think that that is a more forgiving system uh and because of uh the freedom of choice in this i think it makes the most sense okay i was curious about that i'm i'm pretty much either way i love grinding i find grinding in rpgs to be incredibly zen like that is my happy place <laughs> is if i can just like tune out put on a podcast and just grind to kingdom come in an rpg i'm like oh it's perfect <laughs> yeah no I, I i i understand i think that that can be really fun uh uh, but again, I think that people were, you know, it, that mm -hmm. if they had these long grinds to get more points uh, and they had been making a lot of bad decisions that I think a more casual kind of, uh, a, you know, RPG or mm -hmm. would kind of give up and move on to something else. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We aren't the only ones that absolutely love this game, so we are going around the web. We're starting off with user number 224 from Reddit. Their favorite memory and moment is easily the wrestling chapter. Grubba and Rock Hawk are awesome characters. Plenty of humor all around and you get your own Yoshi. Felt like the most creative of the chapters, even if it's one that encourages the least adventuring. Uh, your, your Yoshi boy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I didn't really appreciate the, you know, the, the, the boss of, of uh, the thing because mm -hmm. I'm not a huge wrestling person. But the, but the, uh, but I, I did. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of silly or whatever. But I really love mm -hmm. the, yeah, the Yoshi. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, the chapter three of Glitz and Glory. That's the chapter that you right. and how like grub is like the bookie for the wrestler and it, <laughs> it's just it's very funny it's very yeah. clever that for sure but the uh but i think that you know it was mm -hmm. uh, it just wasn't my wasn't yeah. as much my camp yeah i love the the character designs for all the custom or the brand new characters for this game were spot on like grubba has like a fedora on and glasses and a little jacket and bow tie it was just I, right, I, I love I it. I think that uh, that adds to the entire thing, right? Each, mm -hmm. because it, in, it, in a lot of ways, it makes each section of the game feel very different. Like the, the different costumes, the different locations, the different mechanics in each chapter uh, make it almost feel like a bunch of different games in one kind of thing. Uh, because the characters are just so you know, unique and very well themed to that particular area. Mm hmm. 
Uh, would you like to read the next one from Yuzons? I would, uh, this is from, uh, Zoms, I guess from Reddit. I would have to say for me, for the favorite moment, that instance when you are done with the first battle with the, uh, Dupless and he has switched places with, with you, uh, for a good 10 to 20 seconds, I just didn't touch anything on the controller and sat watching Purple Mario laying on the floor. I thought the cutscene wasn't over and something was going to happen. When I finally touched a button and the purple Mario moved, I literally jumped in my seat as a bit surprised. At that moment, I put it together that I was the purple Mario, and to this day, that is one of the most memorable moments in that game for me. Yeah, awesome, fantastic moment. Uh, and, and you know, the even named as Dupless and stuff like that is is also very clever. I mean, uh, you know, a bit of foreshadowing even on that. The and so I think that uh, that. Uh, there are very few games where something like that happens, right? You know, and uh, and that uh, is kind of a shining moment of this game, uh, where you're kind of switch places like that. It's it's pretty amazing. Is pulling off that kind of narrative beat difficult in a game like from a design standpoint? What would you, you know, think? I, I think so. I mean, for sure. I mean, honestly, I, I don't really know because it's not really a style of... Yeah, that, that is true. I mean, that is true. Uh, but, uh, because in a lot of ways, this is a story RPG, right? It's yeah. very story heavy. Uh, even though there's great mechanics and I love the bosses and things like that, uh, it is, it, you know, it's about the theme. It's about the stories. It's about the writing and all that is like front and center for this game. And so, uh, you know, it... it Evolves around that in many ways, so I think that um, that uh, you know I'm sure that it is not that easy to kind of set things up and make uh, new mechanics become available as a surprise more so than uh, uh, than any other time, right? You know, mm -hmm. for me there aren't really any big surprises like that, unless that you know, like you jam the gem in your forehead or something <laughs> like that. There are, there are a few few kind of surprises in the Diablo universe. But uh, there, uh, but a lot of them, uh, I, I don't know. It's not the same as as this, which uh, is uh, super clever. Do you think there is a as big of a surprise as the Purple Mario and Dupless? Uh, do you think there's a comparable surprise, I guess, as this in uh, Gordo 106, like the Mutant Lab Monkey? Like, did you guys have no, that? No, no, no. <laughs> there are no surprises there. <laughs> I don't know. You throw in a throw in a bit of a doppelganger situation could really really open it up. <laughs> uh, next we have user Nikos Revenge from Reddit. Uh, the controller. In all seriousness, I like the partners and their abilities out and in battle. Yeah, and we we've touched on this a bunch. There are so many partner characters that you have access to and each you can level up to become stronger and unlock two additional skills each and there's you have miss meow miss mouse who's like this mouse lady femme fatale thief who's a secret character you can recruit and admiral bobbery who's like this retired bomb admiral with a beautiful mustache yeah uh it, and each one does new things in and out of battle and you can and like you mentioned david just being able to swap your partners in combat 
Um, it really adds to the charm, uh, to the charm of the game. Absolutely. Um, and want to cover the last one from Alex? Yes, uh, from Alex and Neil. Uh, I love train mysteries, and Thousand Year Door just has so much fun with homages to mystery novels with this chapter on it. Plus, there's a chapter where you become a professional fighter. All that and the companions are just so full of charm and have such fun and unique designs. The game is just infinitely endearing. Uh, yeah, I think that that is, we touched a little bit on this, but that's what, you know, I, I don't know if I put it into words correctly here, but it's like each chapter feels like almost a completely different game. There's just, and they're, they're so different from each other, you know, had to have a mm -hmm. murder mystery kind of like a train mystery thing on, in one chapter and then wrestling and <laughs> fighting in the, in a different chapter, I mean, there's a, like, like complete polar opposite styles of mm -hmm. like story in everything. Uh, to kind of wrap that up into one story, I think is what another thing that makes this game really unique and really interesting is that the, each chapter is just so different from each other in a theme and look and uh, mechanics and everything that uh, that it, it's amazing that it pulls all together into you know a cohesive unit. And you get, uh, in specifically in the train chapter, you get Pennington, the penguin, like, that's dressed up kind of like Sherlock Holmes with a big magnifying glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we'll go with it. This this is awesome. Why not? Why right. not? Um, but thank you to everyone who has sent in your favorite memories of this game. We very much appreciate it. And be sure we will, in the show notes, we'll include links to all these subreddits. Uh, that other people have shared their memories at, so feel free to drop your own. I love reading them, so share away, and I can't wait to see what you loved about Super, uh, about Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. We are on to, let's say you've been listening to Dave and I, David and I talk about this game you're incredibly interested and you want to find and play the game yourself. Well, unfortunately it will cost you and it can be difficult because this game has up until, up until this moment as of recording, this game has only been released on the Nintendo GameCube and prices are going up for it. So just for a used copy, depending on the completeness, you're looking at spending between 70 and $150 on it which is rather high. And if you want a brand new copy still sealed, you're looking at $300. So this is, yeah, this is going up there in price. And the fact that it was never released on um, like the Wii U or the Wii, the Wii or the Wii U eShops or released digitally ever, it it's set the prices skyrocketing, especially because so many people, because of the RPG elements that were removed from later entries, um, this is a highly sought after game that people want to play. So if you're looking to get it, you can still find it like online stores, but you will be paying a good deal. So just be aware. But let's say you have spent, dropped the money or you have dropped the money and gotten yourself a copy. Uh, we are here to help you with some tips or tricks to help you in your first playthrough. Uh, David, did you have any tips or advice for new players to the game? 
Well, I think that I've talked about a few things, uh, but, you know, I I really like the tattle ability of Goomba, Goombella. You know, I think that uh, that really helped me kind of strategize which enemies to hit and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think that from a moment-to-moment combat stuff, that that is one of the most powerful abilities in the game. So uh, you might think about uh, using that uh, if you're having some difficulty. Also... Again, uh, you know, I think that badge points are, are a way to really, if you're going to, when in doubt, I mean, maybe early you want some extra heart points and flower points, but, uh, but you know, kind of mid-game on, you want to be uh, kind of dumping a bunch of points into, uh, into, uh, into the badges, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and my advice is very similar. Badge points, badge points, badge points. You can kind of make up for any lost increases in the others by equipping badges specifically for those um, to increase your health a bit or take less damage. So badge points are where, at least in my opinion, you want to spend a lot of your level ups on. Um, I would also advise getting down, like really kind of practicing your timing on your defense because you can not only defend uh, and have a bit more leeway in when you hit A to defend and take less damage, but there's a second option you have available to you where it's a shorter window of opportunity, but if you hit B, you will not only block all the damage, you will actually do damage back to the enemy. So as you kind of get better at that, it's, uh, it's incredibly important to start uh, dishing more enemies or dishing pain back on your enemies. So th- that would be our advice. Yeah, I think that that's yeah, yeah, I think that that's exactly right. Also, I would say the last thing is that, you know, this is just a really great game and if you you know, if you're experiencing this for the first time, it's just so worth it to talk to all the NPCs. There's a lot of little side quests and special mm-hmm. badges you can find and things like that. Uh so, you know, the writing is just so charming that uh, it's uh you know, I would say explore the world thoroughly. There's a lot of really cool things to discover. Mhm. And talk to Luigi and find the tale of the yes. Waffle Kingdom. <laughs> and demand Nintendo make a Waffle Kingdom, a super paper Luigi game based around Luigi Princess Knights. Eclair and I the Waffle it. Kingdom. Has to happen. <laughs> Has to happen. Add, uh, add Princess Eclair to Smash Brothers. There. I said it. <laughs> We are on to one of my favorite parts of each episode, the monster or enemy of the week. And David mentioned this earlier in the episode, uh, but you chose Magnus von Grapple, correct? Correct. So uh, talk a little bit. You mentioned a bit earlier um, about who this Magnus von Grapple is and why you love him so much. Right. I think that, uh, you know, he... uh... He's just kind of like, for me, it's kind of the the typical dastardly kind of villain uh, that is, it's stereotypical, but I really love that. It's a lot of minions and things like that, and uh, 
as well as you know what what villain is not perfect without like a giant robot right you know that giant robots <laughs> uh, make everything better <laughs> he's a villain and he's gotten himself into a giant robot right you know that's <laughs> i can really appreciate that and appreciate that in any kind of villain it's almost like a james bondish or something you know it's a, <laughs> the the uh the villain now is now in a robot or whatever and it's got rocket arms and things like that uh i think that those uh those things about it make it just ultra charming for me and i love that you know magnus von grapple comes back in the 2.0 <laughs> version later in the game uh you know the return of the oh, villain yeah. uh, is also just a, a classic uh, uh kind of storytelling thing and uh, and so i i appreciate that about uh about magnus the most this is i love how his i always thought his feet looked they like they were uh um tissue boxes <laughs> they're just like yeah. these brown cubes with the springy texture like the springy paper bent paper effect coming out of it and i was like those are tissue boxes <laughs> i remember but i have to ask was there any discussion about putting Bale in Diablo 2 in a giant robot suit. Like, was there a second, like, another boss form where he comes back in a giant, like, robot outfit, you know? No, but I think you might be onto something. I know, right? <laughs> you guys have a cow level, so I don't think a giant, like, one of the uh, big terrors coming back in a giant robot suit is that far-fetched. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's, uh, you know, high up on the list to do now. <laughs> Modders, get to it, modders. Uh, but yes, Magnus von Grapple, the first version. You fight him in the Great Tree. His maximum HP at that time is thirty. He has an attack of two. His moves include the Magnus von Punish. It's a stomp attack that does two damage. Earthquake, which also does two damage and piercing, and the Flyer X Fists, which does four damage. He doesn't drop any items, unfortunately, and he won't drop any coins, but his log is a powerful and cutting-edge robot built by X-Naught scientists. It has all the features expected of a robot, including rocket fists. I mean, it wouldn't be a Japanese robot if it didn't have rocket fists. So. <laughs> I, I agree, that's for sure. <laughs> it's like, is, it, is it even a robot then? No. So it has to have robot, it has to have rocket fists. Well, that's going to do it for our episode on Super Paper Mario. David, thank you so much for stopping by and uh, talking about this wonderful game that I imagine a lot of people don't know you love. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was super fun. Um, do you have any... You, uh, of course, are founder and creator of Greybeard Games. Would you like to tell anyone about what uh, projects you have working on or any updates to your current game? That you're working on yeah uh so right now i'm uh graybeard games and it's largely myself uh i am doing everything i created a game called it lurks below uh, it's available on steam and uh as well as gog and next week uh it's next week this time i'm not sure when this podcast comes out but on august 6th uh, the game comes out for Xbox, 
uh, and uh, as well as be in the Microsoft Store for PC, and it's part of the Game Pass stuff too. So it's uh, it's kind of a cross between Diablo and Terraria. Uh, it's kind of viewed from the side like Terraria, and it's got some digging and crafting and stuff, but it's got uh, you know random monsters, random items, that kind of stuff, uh, du random dungeons, uh, four difficulties, eight character classes. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it plays a lot like uh, like Diablo, but kind of from from the side. Uh, lots of action mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and a lot of fun. And uh, that uh, that game, I did most of the game by myself. I did all the programming and uh, all of the uh, music and the art and things like that. There, I had a little bit of help. Maybe you know uh, my eldest uh, daughter with my. Uh, wife, uh, she uh, she did uh, some of the sprites. She's she's a senior in high school, so she she did she and she wants to be a video game artist. So she um, she did some of the pets and a few things like that. Uh, and then uh, my wife helped a little bit with programming uh, uh, later. She's also a game developer. She was a uh, programmer on Diablo two and. Uh, and then, uh, so, but the rest of the stuff I, I did myself, the sound effects, the, the music, uh, great majority of the programming, and, uh, and I made my own engine and all that stuff. So uh, I had a lot of fun making this game, and I'm still working on it. And we're, you know, I'm constantly putting up uh, updates and new patches and things like that. So uh, uh, anyway, I'm having a lot of fun making that game. Uh, I also started a new company called Skystone Games, where we're a publisher, and we're going to be... Uh, publishing a bunch of different kind of indie products and uh, and uh, helping them in my role really is kind of as a mentor uh, for these development teams and giving them feedback on their products and, and stuff like that. And, and then we also help with uh, funding and localization and making contacts with uh, with, you know, any of the console platforms and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, you know, I've got kind of two big jobs I'm doing right now. Sounds like you're uh, really busy. Keeping, keeping, keeping good and busy. <laughs> but yes, uh, it lurks below is fantastic. So I highly recommend all of you check it out. It's a great, great time. And with it coming to Xbox, by the time this airs, it will already be on Xbox and Game Pass. So be sure to check that out. Uh, <clears throat> but yes, once again, thank you so much, David, for coming on this episode. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has listened here to the end. You've helped return light to the crystals and unlocked a new job class. Be sure to rate and review us on each uh, on your preferred podcast service, as each one you leave will help cause a leaf on the mana trim to bloom and help restore balance to save the world. And I would just really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like me to talk about, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU with what game you'd like us to talk about and if you would like to be a guest on RPG University. And uh, just as a little tidbit... This won't be the last time you hear from David as we have a special Diablo 2 discussion coming up as well. So look forward to that. And until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to each other. Class dismissed.